Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today we're with Garrett Weaver um, from the On Point podcast as well as the On Point YouTube channel. And he is, I would have to say, it's a fair statement to say a, a self-proclaimed gear nerd and uh so we're going to talk a little bit about bows broadheads and kind of a project that he's got going on for this upcoming year so uh how you doing today garrett good man and thanks for having me on the show yeah we we go back and forth about gear here all the time john is uh maybe not a gear nerd but he just is very very particular and so we talked a little bit before the podcast about you know cheap versus affordable versus top of the line specific type stuff yeah. and uh, i think for our listeners um we have a mix of all of that i think the the dynamic between john and i myself being the i would say cheap versus affordable versus uh, <laughs> ex- expensive um so we can certainly get into that here and in a little bit, but, um, I guess give us, uh, you know, for our listeners that aren't familiar with you, a little bit of background on like who you are and what you do. And, um, I'm interested to hear about like how you came up hunting. Cause you're, you know, over on the West coast where mm-hmm. I don't know, do whitetails even exist over there? Yeah, we have miniature whitetails over here. They're called <laughs> Colombian whitetail deer. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, so Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate the opportunity, and, and um, you know, I, I'm excited to go over the topic today because it's something I've had on my heart for a while, this, this budget boat challenge and stuff. But, you know, my background is basically just helping people, uh, especially on YouTube. That's where the whole kind of uh, getting into the industry started is helping people on YouTube, and I cater mostly uh, to newer hunters or, or archery hunters that are wanting to get into the sport or maybe take it to the next level. And as I learn, I share, um, I, you know, I, I don't have all the answers, but I, I am a sponge and I'm constantly researching and testing and trying new things. And, uh, you know, people really like, you know, somebody that's not biased, 
um, that you know doesn't have all these sponsors they have to cater to, and and uh, I do that you know some really popular bow reviews using actual hunting waste, not shooting for IBO, which I think is stupid. Uh, but it's it's really about helping people, and then um, through a couple buddies got this podcast started, and and uh, it's just another platform that uh, the podcast, the On Point podcast, started, and it's just another avenue, another another way to go more in depth than in a video because. Three-hour-long video doesn't really work, but a three-hour-long three podcast does. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of newer hunters getting into it. Even some guys that have been hunting for 20, 30 years, you know, they message me and like, man, I never knew this or I never knew that or I've never tuned my arrows before. And and uh, it's just cool seeing you know seeing guys take those leaps of faith off the information that I give and and send me pictures of a dead bull or a dead buck and say, hey, I used your arrow setup, man. Or, I use your upgrade on the um, fast Eddie that you that you did, and it's just really cool, man. It's it's really rewarding, and uh, I, I have a huge passion for bow hunting. And where I started was by myself figuring it all out. I got a five minute crash course shooting a PSC Carroll Intruder two, which is like a mid nineties bow, <laughs> and uh, figured it all out by trial and error, you know, all by myself, and just was almost quit a few times. It was so frustrating. All the arrow spines, all the weights, all the heads, all the all the stuff. It could be so overwhelming. And so kind of created this little empathy for guys who are getting into it and uh, wanted to help people have an easier learning curve than I did. So <laughs> the first thing that came to my head when you were talking about that is like, I guess in today's day and age with the internet and youtube and everything like that it it could easily be overwhelming like in in my day it was ignorance is bliss i guess because it was just grab some <laughs> aluminum arrows that you know the, yeah. it, i didn't have any idea of spine and everything and john i think is on the opposite end of that spectrum where yeah i grew up i mean my dad worked at the the archery shop and my uncle your, your father-in-law he worked at the other archery shop. So we did a lot of arrow testing way back then. We shoot overdraws and trying to get faster, mm -hmm. smaller arrows, everything. So Yeah, but when you say that, it's like, I didn't even hear arrow spine, I don't think, until I met my wife and bought a brand new bow for the first time in my life. And I was 24 years old, probably. And I... I never even it wasn't even part of it so i i can see why it would be frustrating and i think that that frustrating portion of it not in the the shooting sense but in the um the bow hunting sense like that's what it is for me like the i have this great like love hate relationship and i've said on the podcast a million times that you know i'm the world's worst bow hunter and that's what keeps me coming back because it's so difficult i mean it's just like everything can be perfectly wrong <laughs> like it the wind can be right everything can be right the deer can be there and it just all goes to shit like in two seconds oh yeah for no reason and but i never had that with like the the equipment side of it and the the shooting part of it is like that's the difference between like john and i is john's very particular so he's always tinkering with his sights and his gear and if i make a bad shot it was my fault if john makes a bad shot it's the site's fault 
No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't. I don't blame it on stuff. I just. <clears throat> I'm not afraid to to move or you know shit changes. So yeah, I'm not gonna just sit and just keep shooting and shooting if if something's hitting left, you know, consistently left, 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 or low, low, low. Well, I'm gonna move my sight. I'm gonna do something about it. It could just be me, but it's just it might be how I'm shooting that day. It might be something off, but. I'm going to adjust to it. You see, you see the guys that shoot the tournaments, you know, they're shooting 20 yards and they're always making adjustments on a pin or, you know, windage, whatever. So I'm not afraid yeah, to do it. Yeah, and to drive that point home, um, I was shooting that, that diamond outlaw that I bought for 250 bucks. I uh, come, come rigged, ready to shoot with really cheap accessories. And I mean cheap, not affordable. And basically just through the site, um, on my workbench, put a fast eighty XL on there, put my my spider tracker stabilizer that I use, um, and went and shot with it. And I just I was shooting Vegas face with it, just messing around because I just I love to shoot my hinge. It just I love shooting a hinge. I, if I could use my shoot a nicer bow and use a trigger release, I'd rather use my hinge and a cheaper bow. And uh, it just makes archery that much more fun for me because it's, it's like every shot is like perfectly executed. It's just takes a lot of the thought out of it. All you have to do is hold on target and let, wait for the release to go off. It just makes archery really fun again because it just, that that urge to punch it with the trigger, <laughs> trigger release almost takes the fun out of it. But I kept hitting to the right and I'm like, man, I, 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 there's a, a guy watching me uh, that I see at the shop every once in a while and and uh, he's like, why aren't you moving your side? I'm like, you know, I, I'm not convinced yet and granted, I'm like eight rounds into this Vegas, you know, face, and I'm like still shooting to the right. And then after I'm done with 10 rounds, like 99% of my misses are just outside uh, to the right. I'm like, okay, something's going on here. Because I know when I use, when I was using um, this release, some of my shots would go perfectly. Some of them would go to the right. So I'm like, I don't think it's the bow. I already paper tuned it, did all this stuff. Well, I'm not shooting with my buddy later that day. And he's like, man, you were really pulling hard into your cable. I'm like, I feel like I'm not, but he's like, let me, you know, he's like, I want to take a picture and show you how hard you're bending that cable with, with drop stop. And, uh, I'm like, I'll just, I'll just won't pull as hard and I'll try just getting a little bit extra rotation, um, out of my elbow and my shoulder. And long story short, you know, um, I was shooting 30 yards. I was hitting to the right and then I didn't pull near as hard, but it was a freaking bullseye. And then I went out to 70 and I was packing arrows. It was like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> I'm used to shooting the turbo with way less let off, but way higher poundage. And just through shooting that thing, I developed this really halt, really hard uh, draw against the backstop, and that bow didn't like it. And so I get what you're saying. You know, it, and it's not always, sometimes it's the equipment, sometimes it's the shooter, but it's sometimes it's just figuring out which one it is, and it's, that's part of the fun part of shows. It wasn't fun at the time. It was pretty frustrating. But, um, you know, I missed the big bowl. Uh, years ago and it was a view that was sliding because the serving was loose. In my opinion, that, that's the gear, but that's also on me because I wasn't keeping up on it, you know. Yep. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, we we got out to Idaho and we did I don't know, two or three days and then we'd gone to a different spot and we actually got in the truck and drove rather than just we, we just kind of packed everything in and pulled the target out and I was I think I was four inches high and John was four inches low and we made some adjustments, <laughs> got back on and c continued on. And 
I mean, that was probably the hardest country we've ever been in. Like put, put our, put my mm-hmm. equipment through, um, for sure. But, um, but yeah, I can, you know, that, that, that making sure your equipment, you know, for us, you know, not, you know, coming from Michigan, going on our first elk hunt out there. I mean, we both had two bows with us and everything to fix everything mm-hmm. because, you know, you spend all that money on gear, tag, preparation, I mean, all the time and preparation, you get one chance. 30 know? hours drive. <laughs> yeah. 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 30 hours. Holy smokes. I thought I drove a long. I'm like 11 hours, 10 hours. Yeah, it was a 30-hour drive. It was 34 back because of the time changes and everything. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was, you guys are hardcore. That's, that's a long drive. <laughs> well, I mean, it was the opportunity presented itself, and we we took the born and raised uh, buy tags, not gear. Or, you know, kind of like what you were talking mm-hmm. about with the experiences. And so you brought up. It was going to wait till the end. We can get through all everything we want to. This is not very structured. Uh, you know, our listeners know that it's not very structured. Um, <laughs> You said you were shooting, you know, an RX-1, you know, the RX-1 Turbo, and then you're shooting a, yeah. a $250 bow. So take us through your bow setup that you have been using up up till um, this point and kind of why you chose those components and, and, and everything, and then we'll yeah. go to, to this. Because John shoots the RX-1, but he doesn't shoot the Turbo. But Yeah. Uh, you know, I shoot the Turbo, um, and I've hated pretty much every turbo ever made up until now just because they're so aggressive they just want to pull you off the back wall uh this this year was a little bit different those uh zt cams they were a lot more forgiving they had a a decent valley uh they didn't pull you so hard off the back wall granted if you get lazy they will but um and so i i went for it i have a short jaw length and for me i want to shoot between 280 and 290 feet per second i like the trajectory i know if i have to aim over how high um, if I don't have time to dial, it's just, it's just something that I stuck with that I've kept it there because that's what works for me, um, at that speed. And with that RX-1 Turbo, I could shoot a 457 grain at 282. And that was perfect for me. That's the most powerful setup I've shot so far. That's the heaviest error I've shot so far. Usually I'm around 420 to 445. Um, but that, that's why I shot that bow. I really wanted carbon. That is the main reason I bought that bow is because I've never had a carbon bow. And so I, I, I went for it. It wasn't the best shooting bow. It wasn't the quietest, the least vibration. It wasn't the most accurate for me. Uh, I wanted carbon, and I wanted that extra little bit of speed I could get so I could get a little bit more momentum because I'm going to bump my arrow with up. Um, that's why I bought that bow. And uh, I was shooting it with a Fast Eddie XL. Um, I did make this kind of little upgrade. It's it's just a little piece of wire that turns into a third corner to match the third pin. And so all my pins are always um, accurate for where, where the pointers are pointing, no matter where you're at at the range um, on the dial. So that makes it really handy. I've used that three or four times now, um, killed three or four animals with that extra pointer. And uh, it saved me a second to dial. Um, it's just a really cool little, little upgrade. I call it the trifecta upgrade. And uh, that's what I shoot there. And uh, the use of spider uh, stabilizer, uh, which is made in Oregon. That's a big reason I went with um, with spiders because the guy uh, that owns it is super cool, super nice guy. Makes a great product, you know. 
just because something's made in Oregon doesn't mean I'm going to go with it. It has to be a very good product if I, if I want to go with it. So I went with that, and it was a new model called the Tracker model. Um, before, I was using the Predator, which is just a standard. This one's uh, a little skinnier, so it maybe, maybe helps about the window a little bit more. You know, it'd probably be so so minor in, in noticeability that I don't know if that would be a, a, an actual benefit of it. But um, it had the dampening on the end. And for the RX-1, that was something I was looking for. I was looking to dampen that bow down. It would it would vibrate on the shot quite a bit more than the other bows. Um, and I actually, uh, working with the owner, uh, like I said, super cool guy, he like sent me my demo uh, or his demo for the uh, shows he was going to. And he's like, dude, I want you to use this. Tell me what you think. And it's not even out on the market yet. No one's even shot it, you know, on a hunt yet. And uh, I was being a gear guy, I, I, you know, it just made my whole year. So I got to use that in Africa, and I was the first person to kill anything with that stabilizer. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Sweet. Um, but yeah, that's that's the tracker or the yeah the tracker stabilizer. Uh, I, I was shooting a uh, I want I want to say a ten inch, and uh, I like that length with the disconnect. You gain an extra inch, the quick disconnect. So I'm shooting like an 11 inch, you know, worth of stabilizer there. I was shooting high voltage bowstrings, which are made for a buddy of mine up in Portland. Super high quality, super detailed guy. Um, I, I, for whatever reason, over factory strings, it seems like my all my stuff tightens up once I go with his strings. I've never had a problem with peak rotation, so that's why I go with him. Um, and super great customer service as well. I mean, I call that guy like 11 at night and saying, hey, uh, what do I do here? What do I do there? And he answers the phone. He's a great guy. Um, for the rest, I use a quad ultra, uh, the Hoyt version, which I don't like. Uh, I'm not a big fan of, or I should say QAD guys. Correct me when I say QAD. It's either easy to just say quad. Um, and you know, I, I just seen a lot of those things fail. And there's a couple of bow shops around here that have huge boxes of them that they just junk because they fail. Uh, I've always liked rip cords. Um, I used the QAD all year this year, shot it thousands of times, never had a failure. I've never personally had a failure with the QAD, but I've, I've seen plenty of failures and plenty of them jumped in the box because they weren't working. Um, so didn't have a record available here, so I wanted to shoot my bow. I said that with the, with the QAD, never looked back. Um, do, you, uh, do you want me to go over everything, including arrow setup? Or? Well, yeah, I mean... As far as arrows, because it kind of ties into like what you're doing with your project. So, I mean, okay. th- those yeah, could, those absolutely. those could cost yeah. as much as your uh, your whole budget. <laughs> arrows and broadheads. Yeah. yeah, man, I was shooting. Um, so this year, shooting another Oregon-made company, and I think it's one of the most um, debated broadheads on the market. The Kudu broadhead. I wanted to actually form my own opinion with them because that's one of the number one questions I get is powered those kudus and i didn't have an experience with them so i shot them all year uh killed three animals with them um everything died you know pretty quickly and um you know they, they held up i didn't get any of the bending um that they are prone to do because they're just a little soft uh didn't get a lot of really good blood shells with them but that you know and i did i made some really good shots um shots that should have had great blood trails but you know, with those single bevel foul heads, you don't, you know, that's that's an area that you're getting up in order to get that penetration, right? So, um, you know, the bull I shot this year was just above the heart. Uh, got two drops of blood, and he went 50 yards, 60 yards, crashed, and it took me, uh, I looked for him for like four hours that night, went back the next morning, and then I found him. 
and you say, well, you only went 60 yards. It was so thick. I mean, it's the Oregon coast. It, it legitimately rainforest over there. And, you know, a blood trail would have helped. So, um, you know, that's, that's my thing with, with kudos, that they're great head. They work out design and blood trails. Uh, they're inter- intermediate. I mean, you're you're not going to consistently get blood trails like you would with a bleeder or with a three-blade. But they do work. Um, my arrow setup is an Axis 340, 457 grain, um, cut to 27 and three quarters. I have uh, Elk River footers. A buddy of mine up in Salem makes those. Uh, they really toughen up that hidden insert because that is kind of a weak spot with the Axis arrows. And uh, I actually have a picture of one where an Axis arrow broke off into a, a shoulder of a bull this year. A footer wouldn't have helped kill it, but it would have toughened that arrow up. I don't think it would have broke where it did. And uh, you know, those are 14 grains. You can have them custom made to whatever length you want. And yeah, that's you know that's my arrow setup. I did have them uh, coated this year uh, by Black Willow Coatings. Who, um, like I said, I'm not paid by any of these guys or affiliated with them in any way. But you know, if you want to have your arrows coated like I did, they look pretty cool. Uh, that guy does a really cool two-part coating, really tough. And that's what I shot this year, man. I mean. Uh, you know, I, I passed through wildebeest at 40 yards, 40-ish yards. My elk, my bull elk easily at 18 yards. Then I shot that mule deer uh, pretty darn far this year. Um, I just find them and then had, you know, had to put another one in them, unfortunately. But it was, uh, you know, it was a great year. I mean, that was uh, that, that's my favorite arrow set that I've ever used. It's not that far off of a lot of John's. Arrow setup. The, John has more arrow setups than than anything. I'm shooting real simple uh, Black Eagle Outlaws with the uh, uh, 300 spine Black Eagle Outlaws with the the brass inserts, and they're like 446 grains with a 100 grain toothy arrow broadhead. And John's oh, got yeah, I used toothy arrow. I used toothy arrow was it last year? Yeah, last year, and and had really good success. Killed a buck. You know, a black, really nice black-tailed buck with them, and, and they shot great, and they held up, and yeah, I think I think that's a good solid head, man. Yeah, I was super nervous after watching um, the broadhead testings that you did, and I don't know if it was the one that you were on with Born and Raised, where they were shooting through the meat, they were shooting through like the beef oh. shoulders or whatever, and the tooth of the arrow just got destroyed. And that was right before we were headed out west. And, I mean, they were flying perfect for me out to 60. You know, everything was uh-huh. was good. You know, Idaho is fixed blade only. So, you know, we're coming from Michigan where equipment isn't an issue. <laughs> um, and that's the one I wanted to go with. And I was a little bit nervous. And I shot two whitetails with them. And between the two of them, they didn't go 100 yards. I watched them both fall over. So I, I had, yeah. you know, I I didn't. Kind of like what you were saying about blood trail. I didn't, the the second one, I got a pass through and there was blood everywhere, but I, mm-hmm. I shot him in six inches of water. So there wasn't a whole lot of track and, and I saw where he fell down. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even look for it. And then the other one, I didn't get a pass through. I shot him high, like be, between the shoulder blades, you know, out of a tree stand. And, uh, okay. he went 36 yards. I think I ranged him and he fell over. So. I, I couldn't. Oh, wow. I couldn't tell you about, you know, blood trails or, or any of that. But they were certainly effective. But I'm not the best. You know, I, I can't tell you that they, they're effective. But as far as blood trails or any of that, and and that's a big deal. You know, that's that's why guys 
you know, want to shoot rage and, and, and want to shoot, you know, the biggest hole that they possibly can. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, Oregon just made mechanical legal, uh, for, uh, starting in 2019. So I'll be going over mechanicals and shooting those. I actually shot some of the, uh, I think they were the tread again, but, um, you know, just testing those out. And it's just, they don't hold up near as good as the fixed blade. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, but they, uh, they do have their purpose and they do have their places and I'll probably use them for black tail, but I, I just, for elk, I, I want that fixed blade, you know, I just, or if I, if I go with the mechanical, it'd be like a hybrid. So I still have that peace of mind. So how, I guess, how do you feel about them opening it up to, um, mechanical broadheads? You, you've, you've, I was an advocate of it. Okay, I was just going to say, you shot yeah. with the born and raised, with the arrow testing and the the broadhead mm-hmm. testing, and you guys were using them almost like in jest, um, you know, the fixed blades, or the uh, the mechanicals, rather, just to see them explode or fail yeah. <laughs> to, to some degree. Yeah, you know, we, we're, we're a bunch of Oregon boys. None of us really have that much experience, and, and you know, you guys, I'm sure your audience is probably mostly Eastern, um, so I'm probably going to run some people the wrong way here, but we... We, we just don't get into the mechanicals over here, not only because they haven't been legal, um, but, you know, for over here, and I don't, I don't know the way it is over there, but I wouldn't shoot one at the coast. And, you know, I, I blew right through a fur limb. Um, I cut two fur limbs and off, off the freaking tree when I shot that bull. And with the expandable, would that have opened the expandable? I, I think so. I don't know. I mean, we're talking two limbs about the size of the diameter of a cell phone charger. Um, and I don't know if that would be enough to, to make one go off. I just don't have enough experience with them. Uh, but I can tell you, having to, for me, peace of mind goes a long way. Having confidence in my gear goes a long way. And I want to just, all I want to do is my job as an archer. I just want to put that arrow where it has to be. I don't want to have to put that arrow where it has to be. And then hope that my broadhead deploys on time. Or, you know, it just, it just adds one more piece of failure into the equation um, that for me, the benefit outweighs, doesn't, doesn't really outweigh, you know, what I'm getting. So, um, however, you know, I, I'm saying that, but I also believe it should be the hunter's um, choice. It should be the hunter's decision. What head they use? Period. I mean, I am, I am open to, if you want to use a mechanical, go ahead and use a mechanical, but you know, why don't you just shoot a heavier arrow, arrow with it to help with penetration you know, there's some things that you can do to make sure that, you know, they are, at, you know, at the right situation for the right animal. But over here, there's a lot of brush, man. There's there's just a lot of things that you don't see. You got binding maples. You got all sorts of other limbs coming here and there. And I just feel like over here at the coast, they're going to deploy on something that you didn't see. Um, and that, you know, that's coming from a situation where in the off season, I actually do shoot through binding maples. I do shoot through trees. I do, I do test all these things to know what I can get away with for shooting through brush. That's that stuff that I do test. And I've never, you know, never not shot through brush and never got the animal. I mean, it's, it's always been a good outcome with a, with a mechanical. I don't know. I got, I got testing video on that, but I think it should be the hunter's choice. In my opinion. I can tell you almost a hundred percent that those broadheads are going to open <laughs> depending on mm-hmm. which one. Um, so you had one open. Yeah, I had. I, I mean, so again, this is coming from the self-proclaimed world's worst bow hunter, 
Um, and certainly probably the worst bow hunter that has a podcast. I can tell you that about bow hunting. Um, <laughs> but probably, I don't know, it's probably five, six years ago now, um, I was using the Schwackers. And again, as far as my gear was concerned at the time, it was, you know, my father-in-law always shot Thunderheads. So 125 grain Thunderhead, best broadhead on the market, mm-hmm. still very iconic as far as broadheads go and it's a, a solid option right i mean if you got nothing else so they switched to all these different mechanicals and they, they were trying all sorts of different stuff well him and his buddy shoot identical setups i mean we're talking the only difference is that they have my father-in-law's left-handed and his buddy's right-handed and they've taken to the tree stand with each other's bows and had to go back to the truck and swap them out same case same bows, same arrows, same everything. So when they switch gear, be it arrows or broadheads, there's an abundance of like I get to try all of their leftover stuff. So I had, you know, there was, you know, a dozen and a half schwackers. Do you want these? Well, yeah, of course I do. Being cheap versus affordable versus free. Okay. <laughs> so um, I've got one of those on. I called in. This bachelor group of three bucks snort wheeze this nine point over to me and it it goes into kind of like your Oregon uh, born and raised shot selection should you shoot them frontal type thing. Um, I could have shot this deer like right in the throat um, had I thought that that was an ethical shot or at the time, but I. It was, I was waiting for him, waiting for that perfect shot. And so, uh, he, he turned and was circling around trying to get downwind of me. And I just picked an opening and shot one of those, uh, the, the tits on that, um, that schwacker that actually caused those blades to deploy. I hit a branch, probably about what you're talking about, turned the arrow 90 degrees. I watched it explode and my fletching and the lighted knock tumbled right over top of that deer's back as he was running away. So no. um, yeah. your your testing will be, you know, make sure you got a bunch of arrows. Because <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what happens. Luckily, luckily I do. But what, what was your arrow weight? At that time, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. so, so, you know, that's, that's the reason, uh, and John might be able to elaborate on this for what you guys use over there, but, you know, the higher... Uh, higher momentum that you have in every the arrow, you know, a little bit healthier FOC, you know, would that have helped? It's, it's you know, you can't prove it or disprove it, but I shoot a little bit, it seems like every year I bump up my FOC just a little bit more and I bump up my arrow weight just a little bit more because I'm constantly getting that little bit better arrow flight and I can buck, I can get away with more uh, obstruction between me and my target. I can, I can shoot through that extra limb or I can shoot through that viney maple and, uh, and hit those little off branches off the main stems. But, um, you know, I, I'm shooting, I don't know what you guys shoot for FOCs and stuff. And I, and this FOC thing has kind of gotten out of control. Um, we did one, I don't know if we did one just on FOC, but we did one on arrow setup. And, and uh, you know, guys, I think we're getting a little too into it maybe because uh, there's now a debate about if you're not over, you know, 10% FOC, you're a piece of garbage, or if you're not over 15, you know, yada, yada. I've been shooting 9% FOC for eight years, right? And I shoot a 9.5 GPI axis arrow. So it's harder to get a higher 
FOC, but my momentum is 10 times better than most guys shooting a 380 grain arrow, you know, like, so I, I've been moving towards momentum, but trying to stay around that 13 to 15% FOC. And right now I'm at like 14.1%. So but that's something I've, I've been seeing is a trend right now. Kind of the, you know, the six, five, three more of the archery world is <laughs> what's your FOC right now. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I shoot like right now, the setup I shot out West in all season, I have the RX one, but I end up putting 80 pound limbs on it. And norm, last year I was shooting the Eastern axis with the 300, uh, 300 spine with, um, see, I had 75 grains of brass up front. So, but my oh. arrows are, my arrows are 29 inches long because I got a, you know, 31 and a half inch draw length or 31. So the, the arrows I'm shooting when I shot with the RX one are actually the two sixties. And so they're 560 grains. With the, I ended up just doing 50 grains brass up front. So I lost a little FOC, but they're still, you know, I, with, I ended up, I had two sets of broadheads. I had the, um, the muzzies, the troll cars, the muzzy troll cars. And then I had the slick trick, just the standard, uh, you know, four blade. And both of those shot, I mean, awesome. I would have, you know, I, I, I have a, little shooting range in my backyard and I do the same thing. I shoot through the sassafras and through the, through the weeds and stuff like that. But definitely I, I have a set of tripans and stuff that I would shoot. Well, I actually have a couple of my quiver for whitetail, but definitely wouldn't want to shoot those through the brush or through grass or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Cause they will deploy and, and especially with that two inch cutting diameter, they're going to have more deflection. I believe, Oh yeah, you know, we're, yeah, oh, yeah. You're, you're giving up a little bit with the fixed blade because I think what the slick tricks are like inch and an eighth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that's one of the debates where people are like, I, I've heard John Dudley talk about, it. okay, well, you're shooting, if you're, if you're in a perfect situation where it's there's no brush or anything and you're shooting at like an elk, uh, what is that bone, how much percentage of, of the body is that bone or, or, you know, the front shoulder that you're not going to get through, say it's 10%, which is it's less than that. Then the rest, you're going to shoot, you got that 90% where a two-inch cutting diameter expandable is going to give you more, you know, potential to kill it by hitting something vital, you know, more blood vessels, arteries, mm -hmm. whatever, than the small inch and an eighth, you know, but it might not have as much penetration. You know, so there's a, there's a huge debate on... Mechanics. I've shot both. Uh, at first, the first couple years when the, the Rage came out, I was not. I've shot deer with them, and I was not a fan of them. I, and that's why I went back. I went to the the trail cars, just because they they fly great. You know, they're the short feral. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and those those trail cars. You know, they didn't perform great in our tests, but at the same time, I wish we would have done some things differently because. You know, there's no elk running out there, you know, with concrete shoulders, <laughs> you know. So right. at some point, it's like, what are we, are we, you know, we're putting these heads through too much of a torture. And it's, I'm all about realism. Um, and, you know, that the concrete, you know, it's cool. The still plates are cool. It gets a lot of views. It sounds cool when you hit it and, and shit goes flying. But, it, you know, there's no steel elk. There's no, 
concrete elk out there. You know, I think the most valuable test out of that whole thing was the penetration test on the cardboard layers. Uh, I think that was the most telling information um, for, especially for the expandable versus the fixed plates. The expandable, I think, got the worst. Yeah. I think uh, out of all the broadheads, and, and so for guys that are like, oh, this and that. Well, and John Dudley is he's more of an archer than I will ever be. Ten times, you know, just in his little pinky, he can tell you what probably. And I've had this conversation before. That guy uses expandables for real. Good for him. He can also tell you probably what rib he's going to put it in between <laughs> exactly. on what hair at seventy yards. You know, like the guy, the guy is literally, literally a world class archer, and so. You know, he, he's talking about that with, and I kind of feel like it's, he's, yeah, he, he's susceptible to making bad shots too, but if that's a selling point for him, I, I don't know. And he's also tuning his bow way better than 99% of people out there. So for him, I think I think it works great. But I think a lot of people out there, which is totally fine if that's where they're at in their bow hunting journey, that's cool. But I feel like they're using uh, mechanical skills Maybe as a crutch um, for for poor tuning, right? Uh, and you know, if, if that's where they're at, fine. You know, I'd rather have a guy shooting mechanical accurately and not have a properly tuned bow than a guy that's too proud to shoot a, a mechanical and you know shooting less than a pipe plate at forty. You know, like it's each to their own. Everybody's at different spots in their journeys, but I, I feel like a lot of people are probably using them as crutches. And, and I know the shops over here, not all of them are great, but it sounds like the mentality between our shops talking from guys from Kentucky versus their shops back over East. There's a huge difference in the amount of tuning that the pro shops do before they let you leave. Um, over here, it's, it's, yeah, we'll paper, we'll paper tune you. We'll, we'll get you everything going. We'll get you timed, everything. And then over there, it's kind of, We'll get you close. I don't know if that's your guys' experience, but from other guys over east that I talked to, the level of tuning, it just isn't quite the same, it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some shops around that that are you just going by a bow. And I've, I've looked at bows that have come from a shop that, you know, oh, yeah, it's all tuned. And it's like, well, did you shoot it when they were tuning it? Were you there when they were, you know, I'm like, yeah, you can, they can paper tune a bow. They can tune a bow. But were you there shooting it? Were they looking at your, you know, your form? Mm-hmm. I mean, all that comes into to play, you know, when when they're, mm-hmm. you know, arrow weight, spine. The one shop, like, oh, we don't we don't look up spine. I was like, what are you talking okay. about? You're selling arrows, but you need you need to sell the right arrows to these guys, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. There's definitely some shops that I wouldn't recommend, but. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to broad stroke it or anything, but it just sounds like there's a lot more of those back east than there are over here. And, you know, and I, and I don't want to offend anybody that has, a, you know, a pro shop or anything, but and that's just going. I'm going off of that opinion of guys over there that have told me, like, dude, it's horrible. At least in Kentucky, where that where this guy lives, right? Like, it's ridiculous. And I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of it has to do too with. I mean, you guys. I mean, out west, like when we were uh, heading out to Montana, Idaho, whatever. There's a lot more long shots, you know. That's where you know the single pin and the you know people are using the yeah. the, the wheels on the sights and stuff, and you know shooting out yeah. 70, 80 yards. Where a lot of us, you know, the whitetail hunters in the east, you know, forty yards is a long shot. So like what Adam was saying back mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like oh pie plate accuracy, you know, and you're you're doing mm-hmm. all right. But 
it, that's all you need. <laughs> it's definitely there's definitely a, a lack of. Uh, yeah, so for me, I'm real fortunate because I don't, I, I'm not into all that. I'm getting more and more, I guess, educated on it. The further like I get through uh-huh. this, and the last couple of years has been great. But you know, at our Bowman's Club, we have got a bow press. You know, John's at the point now where he's building strings. And so I bring him the bow and it's same deal. Like, so he, I I bought a brand new, um, uh, diamond deploy, diamond deploy last year and I shot it, brought it over to John. We went to the, the club. He's watching me shoot it. We're taking twists out of the string. We're doing this, got it on the draw board, get it all set. And then my backup bow was a carbon night from like 2015, which mm-hmm. <laughs> came with its own set of problems. <laughs> but so John put a new cam on that and built a new string for it. And then he was shooting it and at, at my draw length and got it as close as he could. And then the same thing, you know, he's like, well, you need to shoot it. Like I'm shooting it real well, but yep. you need to shoot it. And same deal, a couple twists out of the string and a little bit here and there. And it, it's, it's right on. So I'm, you know, not only gathering this knowledge and I think that that's one of the things that we're trying to like portray or, you know, to, to give to our listeners is like, you know, we're regular guys that are, you know, I have had no experience dealing with any of this. And, you know, John's over here building strings in his garage on a $20 rig with some, with some channel and some turnbuckles you know, and you can do it. And if you take the time and, and learn and, and, you know, you can have a bow that shoots a hundred yards, no problem. I mean, when we were getting ready to go out West and we were getting ready for the total archery challenge and, and all of that sort of thing, you know, we were shooting a hundred yards. John was shooting a hundred yards every day. I was shooting at least once a week mm-hmm. out there. And, you know, for, for a, a regular everyday guy, you know, all of this stuff is attainable. You don't have to listen to, you know, if you don't believe what the pro shop's telling you or you, there's so much information out there, be it even like your channel, right. you know, you talk about Dudley, but you know, what you're doing for guys is invaluable as well because you're saying like, look, this is what I'm doing. Even just with your little tips and tricks with the, with the site, like you had said, you know, mm-hmm. so with what you're doing now, what it, you said you went from a $1,700 bow to a $250 bow. So let's talk about that a little bit. How does, how does one make that decision? Uh, You need to shoot the bow first, right? (laughs) Um, I shot this bow at the pro shop because bow tech factory is just in an hour north of where I live, hour and 20 minutes north. So I went there, my buddy was looking at bows, you know, he's always looking at bike swap and sales stuff. So I go there, I meet them, and then, um, I'm, you know, we're, the bow challenge is, is currently active at this time, and so we're both competing. This I'm talking about dirty track. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, so, so right there, the let's let, let's talk a little bit about what is this this bow challenge. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so specifically, um, and if guys want to hear really the whole story, they can go listen to episode 28. I think or no, 27. I think that's the bow challenge because we, we talk about making the rules and everything. It's a $500 budget. It can be new or used. You cannot know the person or it cannot be any special deal. It's not that anybody would give me a special deal. Um, cause you know, most people 
still need them. They don't know who I am, and let alone probably don't care. But you know, we can get discounts. Long story short, if you try hard enough or you market yourself, you can get discounts. And so I wanted it to be as duplicatable as possible, where you know Joe Blow can go out and get the same deal I can. Well, this bow that I got, you can get pretty easily for three hundred to three fifty, and if you look hard enough, you can probably find it for the same price I did. Uh, they didn't know anything about me. None of the guys knew me at the pro shop, so everything was everything was pretty legit. Um, so I, this thing was sitting there; it had been sitting there for a long time. I think this bow's a 2014, and it was still sitting on their shelf, brand new. So they marked it down from 600 bucks down to 250, which is a good deal. And it was had the RAK, uh, RAK package, which is just cheap accessories to help you get out and go shoot quicker. Um, so it's fully set up for that. And I shot it, let you know a few days go by, and then I'm like starting to get antsy. I'm like, well, hope anybody didn't buy that though. And I'm like, I should just buy it and just keep looking. You know, I'll use it as a mouth pad though. I'll use it as a keep, you know, keep me keep me shooting kind of kind of bow and so um though the bow challenge embalms everything a hunter will need to go out and go into the woods and kill something that happens you know five hundred dollars includes your broadheads your release your arrows sight quiver stabilizer the bow itself everything that you're going to use to go out and bow hunt and i figured 500 bucks is pretty fair um especially when you're starting from scratch and uh yeah i mean it's it's literally it's 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 a huge difference than going out. And I think my bow hunting setup, but um, with the RX one, I think it was around twenty four hundred bucks, fully set up. And so now we went from five hundred to twenty four hundred. So now I, you know, I sold my bow for fourteen, and so now I have, uh, you know, nine hundred dollars to go out and have fun with, go on a hunt, go do this, go do that, go buy a nicer rangefinder if I need a nicer rangefinder, you know, and. I think through this challenge, because I've already got messages through um, Instagram of guys that are like, dude, I'm so excited to see what you get. I'm going to wait off on hold, uh, on buying a bow until I see what you go with. And it's like, you know, that's, that's great. You know, that's cool. But you should be going out and shooting bows and figuring out what works best for you. You know, like, just because I bought this bow doesn't mean that you're going to like it. You may be like, dude, that guy's an idiot. He just bought a Diamond Outlaw. And that bow sucks, you know. But I'm shooting that bow pretty darn good right now. And, uh, no, that's, that's the whole point of, of the thing is, is to go out and go on more adventures. I had a great time, um, going out and hunting places I've never hunted before. And I could have gone more places and done more things if I hadn't bought that $1,600 turbo straight up. That's, that's fact. So that's what this, that's what this challenge is designed for is to encourage guys that maybe are hunting that are into the game, have been into it for a while to maybe just, Hey, just this year. See what you could do with 500 bucks. Take all that money you saved, go out on a new adventure, or the guys that are getting into it. Hey, here's what you can do to get you out in the woods, just to see if you like it. So that's that's where that challenge came from. It's all in the name of of, of really helping you know helping people. That's that's really what it's centered around. I just I just want to help people and get away from this. You know, I'm a gear guy. I really do love gear. I love buying the brandest, coolest, newest bows that I that I shoot the best. I do it every year. And I, I just feel like if this this can kind of get back to the, the basics, get back to the important things, because the bow is not important. I can shoot that two hundred fifty dollar bow better than I could that sixteen hundred dollar bow any day, any day, and easier. And it's easier on my shoulder. It, you know, it's it's. I'm just not shooting as fast. That's all it is. I'm shooting about uh, fifteen feet per second slower. You know, and I am that sixteen hundred dollar bow. That's all it is. That. 
$250 bill has less vibration than my RX-1 did. So that was a turbo, though, right? That was the turbo, yep. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm at. It's, it's just trying to help people move the needle a little bit back into what's important, and that's getting out in the woods instead of looking cool doing it. So when you're when you're talking about that, like there's a there's a couple of things that come to my mind, right? So one is yeah. we talked about the um, maybe not good at the time um, for me being ignorance is bliss, right? But I almost feel like yeah. on some level for a new shooter, and this is what I tell this is what I tell people, or this is what I tell people that have a bow that's say ten or fifteen years old, right? is you can shoot any bow from the last decade or the last five years for sure. And if you're shooting a bow that's over 10 years old, it's going to be far and away different as far as how it feels in your hand yeah. and, and how it shoots. And so in that yeah. regard, like that ignorance is bliss, it almost applies because I talked to somebody the other day who was fully content shooting their bow from, 2005 2006 something like that and then they said their brother got a new rx1 or something like that and they shot it and it was just that much better so they had to go out and get you know so so there is some sort of a, a balance there but then i also had um was posed the question on facebook you know there's a guy that was a, a factory bowtech shooter who's considering moving on and he said going from flagship to flagship what is the difference or what would you be looking for? And in my mind, kind of what you said about the speed, you know, for $1,200, you're looking at 15 feet per second or whatever in your case. So there's kind of a wall at that, the speed level, you know, they're, they're not, they're not progressing anymore. So it's coming down to shootability, back wall, draw cycle, yeah. comfort. So what are you looking for or what would you be looking for in that, in one of these older bows? And then when you're looking at an older bow, what are you looking for as far as condition? Because you can get a $500 bow that needs, yeah. if you're not doing it yourself, you know, a hundred or $150 for a string and you know, yeah. all, all sorts of things. So for, for a new guy getting into it, what, what should mm -hmm. they be looking for? It's a, it's a lot of that's things a really to process. Good question. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good question. Man. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't think about talking about that. So, so part of what I, my criteria when I, you know, put sealers out on Facebook is string must be in good condition and everything, everything. I'm looking for a $400 bow and fully set up. And that'll leave me a hundred bucks to play with. And that is fully set up with a good string. I don't want to have to replace the string because that's 125 bucks around here, and that that just that's unnecessary unnecessarily eating your budget up. That's stuff that you shouldn't be spending money on if you have a 500 dollars budget. Is a new string. A lot of the Botex, you know, guys. Sorry, guys. I love Botex. Um, you know, I, I I almost didn't go with the BTX just because of limb issues, and and they do have delamination problems. That's straight up a problem. It's not super common, but it happens enough that it is a concern. And I almost thought about not even going after this bow just because of limb issues. So you need to research the bow that you're looking at getting to see what the cons may be for that model. Um, some of the past, like you, like you said, you shot um, some of the older 
carbon uh, Botex. Some of those risers warped. Some of them, you know, some of them had riser issues. And, um, you know, these are things that people need to know about prior to getting the bow. So if that bow, you know, the limbs, I have people send me pictures of limbs before I even, you know, talk to them. Really. Like, send me pictures of the limbs, send me pictures of all this stuff. I want to see it. And if there's any sort of splintering, delamination on a Botex or something like that, you know, you need to start looking at these things, thinking ahead. And so my criteria is that the string has to be really good condition. And that's not hard to do. There's a lot of bows out there. Guys sell them with brand new strings on them to try and dress them up for, to get the most out of it they can. Um, a lot of guys don't shoot, straight up shoot that much. So it can be used, but the string's still in great condition. I've had strings last, you know, 20, 22,000 shots, 20,000 shots before I replaced them. And um, that was on my Matthews Halon 6. That was factory, factory zebra strings. Actually, no, it was 18,000 shots about the time I, I replaced them. Um, and that's a lot of shots. A lot of guys don't even shoot that in, in a year. A lot of guys don't shoot that in five years. Right. So it's, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, you gotta, you gotta really look at the bow like you're buying a used car. Once you buy that car, it's yours. You're screwed. You have to fix it, you know? So make sure the lens are good. Make sure, you know, it's coming with good accessories. Uh, you know, I shoot spot hog exclusively, even though I'm not paid by them, just because I just, I just really, I trust them. I don't want to, that's something, there's a few things I'm not willing to budge on. You know, there's black bolt sites, they make good sites. There's a lot of good site manufacturers out there. I've had trophy, uh, is it trophy ridge or trophy taker? I always get those mixed up. Because I've had their sites, uh, you know, break on me, straight up break on me. Um, spot hogs, I can drive them in the mud. I can drop my bow. I can throw it in truck without a case. It's, it is always, always on. I drug that thing through Africa, bends up against rocks in Idaho, Oregon. Um, and I, I'm not nice to my gear. The last thing I want to be worrying about is being gentle on my gear when I'm out in the woods hunting. And so I use some of the toughest gear that I can find, and Spot Hog fits that bill. So you can find an old used Spot Hog Hunter or a real deal for, you know, less than 90 bucks. And that's a really good site. I mean, bulletproof they have a lifetime warranty you can send it back into them you can get all new pins you know for 20 bucks they'll, they'll pretty much revamp your site if it's not warranty i mean it's really cool what they do especially if you're not the original owner they'll still do it for you it's like 20 bucks to change you know to update all the sites and then you can choose the colors diameters all that stuff uh, not to make this a spot on commercial but that's why i go with them um and then you really need to look at, you know, are you going to get the speeds that you're wanting to get? Is the cam the right size cam? Uh, is the draw length the right size draw length? Is it a sliding mod or is it, you know, do you have to buy new cams like a Prime? Are they, are they draw-specific cam? Um, these are things that you need to research before, prior to buying that bow. So some of the things that I'm researching are, you know, is it the right size cam? You know, the BTX-31, I'm going to lose some performance over the BTX-28 because I'm shooting pretty much, you know, the bottom end of that cam. So that's something I'm willing to give up on because the BTX is a, is a great bow and it's such a great deal um, on, the, on the one I'm working on right now. But these are things that guys need to look at. The accessories, I'd rather have a lower-end bow and higher-end accessories than the other way around. And I, I really do harp on that. I would rather shoot a whisker biscuit than a uh, trophy taker smackdown to uh, rest, which fail. They straight up, I don't, you don't hear me say this very often, do not buy one of those, but do not buy that rest. Do not buy it. It sucks. It's horrible. I've, I've had, that's what I had for years. And 
I was constantly doing maintenance and fixing that thing. And I can tell you exactly why they fail, but um, you know, there's certain things out there that if guys don't know, just take the time and Google it. You can be really in-depth knowledgeable by taking real world reviews. I hate this uh, website, the archery talk. It's so negative. So, so much of the time. Um, but there's a lot of good information on there too. If you're willing to bring thick skin with you, um, if you ask a question. So there's, there's a lot of good sites to go and, and check out. You can go onto my Facebook, uh, group uh, addicted to bow hunting and it is no bs there is no bashing it is i joke around it's a safe space uh to ask questions and and to, and to learn and everybody on there is super helpful they're they're like-minded like i am they just want to help people and it's got you know i don't know 1800 members it's not huge or maybe twenty two thousand members i don't know how much it has i haven't been on there in a few days but um you know it's just a small group but people really do care about helping people on there. There's a lot of these groups out there that you can get good information with. So um, one thing I would look at if you're a beginner is trying to go with a longer brace height. You know, a lot of these PSCs are shorter brace heights, but they're really budget bows. High performance bows. I mean, there's nothing wrong with PSE, but I, you know, this outlier bought seven inch brace height. That's perfect. Especially for a guy that's going to be wearing, you know, winter clothes, sitting in a tree stand, freezing his balls off. He's got like three inches of jackets covering his skin going with a five and a half inch brace height may not be the best bow for that guy. It's going to be harder to shoot. It's going to have a more highly likely chance of hitting the sleeve. You know, just, just so much that goes into looking at a bow. Preferably if you can meet the person and shoot it or shoot it at the shop prior to buying it, that is the way to go. So uh, hopefully that answers that question. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to look for. Yeah. I just wanted to, you know, if, if someone's new or they're they're thinking about getting into it or yeah. they've got an old bow and they're thinking about like oh well if i just get this because it's real easy to yeah. go into the bow shop and you know what everybody says is shoot them all well inevitably the one that you like mm-hmm. the best is going to be the most expensive or going to be one of the the top line bows <laughs> and that just seems yeah. to be the the way that it the way that it goes um but what are you going to end up you know i had some questions from Instagram as far as like arrows and, and, uh, broadheads. Um, what is your, you know, like I said, you know, if you were shooting, um, you know, I don't know what, I mean, the full metal jackets aren't cheap. Um, they wouldn't, you know, with a two, even with a $250 bow probably wouldn't put you over, but if you were shooting those coupled with a dozen of those coupled with a dozen, say iron will broadheads or something, you'd be, you'd be well over budget. So, so what are you shooting for arrow setup and broadheads? And then the questions from Instagram were broadheads. So a good, durable, fixed blade broadhead that's budget Mm -hmm. conscious, you know, so affordable rather than cheap. And then maybe a broadhead company that makes a fixed blade that maybe isn't as well known. Um, you know, that, mm-hmm. that has good attributes or is something that would be definitely a company to look at? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so the broadhead aspect of it, um, people were wanting to know what broadhead to go with, basically, for a budget. Well, um, uh, a fixed know, blade, I, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to, you know, I, I've been struggling with, with this for a while. Um, you know, the next broadhead I'll probably be shooting is an Exodus. Um, they're not that expensive. You can find them, you know, if you look, you can find them for 30, 35 bucks a pack pretty easily. Um, I thought about going with the green muzzy six pack, but that, you know, I shot those for six or 
second years, never locked an animal, and I can always get into tune. But when you start shooting pretty fast, I'd say you're pushing 300, you're going to start getting some funny arrow flight just because, you know, they're they're not meant to shoot that. I, me personally, I, I was getting some tuning issues with the six, you know, the muzzy six packs shooting them 295, 300 feet per second. You can bump them back down to about 280, then you're going to get a lot less, you know, planing or whatever, but uh, or in, inconsistencies with your setup. But the Exodus seem to be a pretty good head. I haven't used those yet. They are on my radar. I plan on using those this year. Um, the next animal I shoot will probably be with an Exodus. Um, I, I want to go back to a three blade, like for the blood trails, and that is specifically for that. They are, I believe they are a replaceable blade, which will save you money if you need to replace blades rather than finding another head. And uh, that, that would probably have my vote there. Um, if you wanted to go muzzy, you could go with like a, um, you know, an MX3. Um, I said a little bit kind of a mid-grade. It's below the trocar. It's above the uh, muzzy six-pack. Um, I think those are 30 bucks per three or 35 three um not a bad head i killed stuff with those um i like that they're a little bit shorter uh, i think the blades are tiny bit thicker than the, than the green uh six pack uh muzzies and those like i said those are a little bit more accurate you can shoot those a little bit faster in my opinion and and still achieve the, the accuracy that i'm looking for but the exodus are, are something I'm, I'm looking forward to because i've seen a lot of guys using those and i you know i like the way they look they're thick blade they look really tough they kind of have that bone splitting bone penetration kind of crushing tip on them trocar style tip and uh they look good they look like a really good head i'm not looking forward to using those um something that somebody may not be familiar with um you know bone broadheads they're they're still pretty new i if you if you're willing to, and I've seen good blood trails and bad blood trails, it's not, you know, it's so hard to duplicate a blood trail. Uh, but bone broadheads, they're, I think, a 7-8 cutting diameter, so they're not very big um, on, on cutting diameter, but they penetrate really well because of the size of the head. So if you're like a, if you're a beginner, you're a younger kid or uh, maybe a lady, you're just shooting low pounds because you're shoulder, that's a really great penetrating broadhead, you know, for the money. And... Um, I'm not sure how much they're going for. I would imagine they're probably 40 bucks a pack, but finding a pack for around 30 bucks, um, you know, the MX3s are hard to beat, man. And those are good heads. The, uh, like I said, the Exodus, the Chief of the Arrow, those are more expensive. I would, you know, it's hard because broadheads are something I wouldn't skip on. You know, that, that's going to be something that I, I'm not going to cheap on that. That's the most, probably the most important part of the whole, whole equation is, is the broadhead. That's the part that's actually doing the killing. Um, so, you know, for your guys asking those questions, what's the, what's the most affordable, best broadhead, um, gosh, buy the best one you can afford. And, and that's the part I would not skimp on. You know, if you want to go cheap, go with the muzzy six pack. I use those for years. If you're not shooting super fast, you know, go with those. Um, I thought about going with those for the challenge, but, uh, I don't know. I, I the blades usually aren't reusable. We'll put them that way when you're, when you're shooting something with them. You say that, and we're sitting here playing with all the components that are just laying around in, in John's little shop here. And there's, there's a green, yeah. muzzy uh, feral right here that we're yeah, messing I shot, around. I, shot, yeah. I still have dozens of those because I've shot them for years. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with them, man. I mean, they, they're just they're, they're, they're cheap slash affordable. They're, they, those broadheads right there probably killed more deer than any, any other broadhead on the market. I mean, 
But again, the quality isn't there. I mean, they they get the job done, but you know, you can also drive without your seatbelt and get where you're going too, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. And so what are you using for arrows then for this budget challenge? Good question too. So I've been working with, uh, because Riley Riley reached out with me from the Black Willow Coating, uh, who did my, my coating on my last hunting batch of arrows. And uh, he's like, yeah, I want to put together a budget arrow uh, for your challenge. I'm like, me too. And so we, uh, you know, we've been messaging back and forth. And, and I think I finally landed on a new model of being in, um, they're called the Defender Elite. And I got them on sale from Botex shop. Anybody could get that, those on sale but just the way I did. So they count for the challenge. I got a dozen for 60 bucks. Um, they are 0.003 straightness, which is cool. Uh, we're going to cut both ends off of them because um, there's there's a few stipulations with me using these arrows and him, him doing the on point budget arrow is that he's going to cut them a certain way where he cuts off both set both ends, not just one, mm-hmm. um, to try and get the best straightness possible. And um, you know that that's going to be the arrow. So I got twelve for a dozen, fully set up uh, minus the broadhead. So with the, if guys want to go with the coating and everything, fletch insert cut everything 100 dollars to your door and that was my goal was to get an on point budget arrow for less than 100 bucks and actually uh, i've been shooting them i've been shooting the crap out of them the last few days out to like i said 72 yards i just just shot around to vegas and uh, the arrows are plenty accurate and they have a good wall they have standard inserts um they're nice they're very similar gpi to my axis arrows so i'm uh i think i'm like three or four hundred and like 40 something grains with these arrows. Um, so I'm within 10 grains of my, of my axis arrows. Um, they're, they're plenty straight for the price. I don't know if you can beat them right now. I mean, they are plenty straight. Um, I, my thing is over, over straightness is spine consistency. And I don't know how the spine consistency is with them yet. I really need to throw some broadheads on them and just without doing much to them and just see how they shoot. Uh, but that's, that's going to be the on point budget arrow that I go with because my goal was to, to get a completely set up and customized arrow for under a hundred bucks. And we, and we did it. It took, took going through a lot of different models and makes and, and manufacturers, but I think the Beeman Defender Elites is what we're going to go with. That's the same straightness as my Axis arrows, 0.003, I believe, off the top of my head. It might yeah. be point zero zero one on the axis. No, the point zero zero one is a match grade. Match grade, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that's pretty hard to beat, man. We'll see how the spine consistency is with them because that, in my opinion, that's more way more important than that straightness. Because you can you can cut out a lot of the imperfections out of an arrow, but the spine consistency is what's going to cost you accuracy. So I feel like uh, it must be because you do a podcast or whatever. You're making this super easy for me. But one of the questions that I was going to ask you is with the insert outsert half in half out hidden insert deep six <laughs> um you know there's a million yeah. different different things you know one of the first arrows the, the first carbon arrow i ever shot and again i couldn't tell you why i bought these ones other than the fact that they were carbon but they were the early early beamings with the giant outserts and so when I see all these new, I guess I just feel like it's a, a trend, maybe like what you're talking about with the added FOC is that all of these mm-hmm. outserts or, or things like that. And then I think you were the one of the first people that I'd seen that was running the collars 
on the outside of the mm-hmm. arrows. Um, I guess, can you talk about that just because it's just, like I said, I, when I look at it, I see the first carbon arrow that I ever bought and they were, and, and I also look at it from kind of a, you know, what we do shooting, um, we shoot an indoor small game league that is basically everyone's shooting hunting setups. I don't think that there's a single target setup in our group of, you know, I don't know how many teams. There's like eight teams of four guys or or eight, yeah. like 16 teams of four guys because there's eight lanes, right? There's eight lanes, yeah. Yeah. So, so there must be – yeah, just must be eight. Regardless, I, I think of that and then shooting like 3D, like the Total Archery Challenge where we're using our hunting setups and things like that and, you know – added arrow weight, added FOC, added penetration, getting those arrows out of those targets and, and things like that. Like I understand it for hunting and, and things like that. But when I, you know, we use our hunting setups for everything, you know, so that we're comfortable and we know how our gear is going to react. Um, I guess, can you talk a little bit about the insert, outsert collaring, uh, things? It's just funny that yeah. beaming. So, <laughs> yeah, man. So the you know standard inserts are you know they're they've been around for for a long time. Um, those are the ones that you can you can kind of see the the eighth of an inch of the uh, where the threads are. You know that they stick out most of the body is in the inside there. Um, that you know those are those really don't need a footer. Uh, so the the whole purpose of a footer and, and you know some manufacturers um, outside you know there's a few manufacturers that make them. Um, footers and in my prediction, you're going to see footers kind of be the, you know, the new fad. Um, a lot of, a lot of guys are really going after the footers, especially with the guys using hidden inserts. But, you know, for guys using half outs and, and guys using standard inserts, footers probably aren't that big of a deal because what the main, the main thing about a footer is adding strength. It's not, it adds a little bit of weight that, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. The benefits are you're adding strength on the end of the arrow. So when you have your insert that is completely hidden, and that's why they call it hidden insert technology, a hit insert, um, your, your insert is completely on the inside there. And if you want to tune your, tune the edge of your arrow or like square it, you have to grind the arrow away. You don't actually grind the, the insert to square the insert or anything. Um, that's kind of a weak spot because it, it's prone to snapping um, right there where that insert ends in the arrow. And so, uh, it, not that it does every time. I've never had it happen, um, but like one of my buddies had it happen this year. So, um, I started using those just because I'm being proactive. It adds 14 grains uh, on mine. I think are I think mine are two inches, and uh, so you know the weight's not really. It, it adds a little bit of weight, but it's really more for strength. And so, with the hidden insert, and it doesn't have to be an accessory. Other guys do hidden inserts as well. Um, you know, I would I would highly suggest it. But finding them for the diameter of the arrow that you're shooting, I shoot I shoot five millimeter. Um, you know, I know Chris can bust those out pretty easily. He can make them for other size diameters. So if you're shooting a six millimeter or you know uh, just a, like a Demon ICS hunter, um, I'm sure he can make you some for those too. But I, I predict those are going to be some of the cooler fad things coming around the corner for for archery guys. Um, kind of like the six five pre more for archery that I <laughs> that I already talked about, but. Um, so the, the things that I would be aware of, if you go with the deep six, which is like a four millimeter, you know, like a micro, micro diameter arrow, you're going to have to buy, um, and there's a disclaimer here, you're going to have to buy 
deep six um, components to go with that. So you're not going to be able to use it just a regular insert. You're not going to be able to just use a you know a regular hidden insert either. You're going to have to buy deep six technology stuff. And that's for like the Easton you know injection arrows. Um, then you know they do make the components where you can use standard, but it's like a it's like a threads into the to the deep six and then it allows you to use a standard, but then that's not cheap. You're just adding onto the cost of your arrow and then you're adding one more connection point onto your arrow, which will it fail, will it not fail? It's adding one more point of failure. Um, I've never seen those fail. I don't know of a lot of guys that use them because I think they're pretty expensive for those um, adapters. Uh, I personally, man, if you're already into deep six, it's great, but getting into deep six is expensive because <laughs> you have to buy deep six uh, head, which limit your availability of what heads you can shoot. Um, not a big fan of them. Uh, I do love, you know, I do love the benefits of the injection arrows and stuff like that or deep six. But again, it's just adding cost on to an already expensive sport. Um, FMJs. Oh, I do want to get into FMJs here. I, I was shooting with my buddy yesterday because FMJs, they're pretty popular. Um, you know, you got John Dudley shooting them and I think Cam Haynes shoots them. I, I don't like them. I don't like FMJs personally. You know, they, they remember how many times, I think they remember how many times they've been shot and then they'll start losing their straightness after a while. Uh, if you shoot a lot, like I do a lot and you go shoot 3ds and stuff, eventually those suckers are going to lose their straightness. Uh, they can only bend so many times before they start bending and remembering it. If you know what I mean. Um, and John, you, you've been, I, you've been in this game for a while and you've been a gear guy. I don't know if you've experienced that as well, but, my buddy literally shot shot his FMJs yesterday. He uh, missed the target, skipped it off the gravel uh, in his driveway, and that sucker. I took a picture of it because I thought it was funny. It was bent. It was noticeably noticeably bent. Uh, while sighting in my bow, I missed the target, and uh, I went and grabbed my arrow and I kept shooting it. You know, it wasn't bent. So I'm just I'm you know I love I love the momentum you get with them. Um, you know the. Is there benefits to using an aluminum composition over carbon? There could be. Uh, but, you know, if you shoot a lot, I think you're just at, I don't know. I don't like them. I, I personally won't shoot them. Um, not because they're not a good arrow, just because. Yeah, I, abs- I have a, I was just pointing back into my jar of arrows. I have a full set of FMJs that I shot with my Bowtech. And same thing, after shooting as much as I do, th- they, they're out there bent you know so it's like mm-hmm. i went with the axis because it's the same five millimeter shaft almost the same weight range but way more durable you know like like yeah. i'm saying i'm shooting in the backyard and i'm shooting through the you know the trees and the shrubs and shooting into the ground and shooting 100 yards and you you smack the side <laughs> of the the bag and next you know you got you know bent arrows and so yeah for me yeah. the fmj's they're I I don't I don't spend the money on them yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean they're great for hunting, but if you're going to be using them in the off season, but do yourself a, a favor and, and buy carbon arrows for practicing because it's it's going to get expensive real quick for you. But for for inserts, you know, you know, there's there's aftermarket inserts like Ethics Archery makes spinning inserts. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different styles out there if guys want to get into it you know go for it um i i just like the hidden inserts with a footer and that is in my opinion if you guys see the arrow test which arrow survives it was the standard head insert with a footer that arrow is the only arrow that survived our arrow destruction video 
period. Um, the, uh, you know, and, and, and the guy, you know, the born and raised guys use a great arrow. It's a day six arrow, super thick walled arrow, super tough arrow. The center pin um, broke on it a couple times. And so the arrow itself didn't break, but the components did. So um, I'm a big fan of what I use. I'm obviously biased because it works for me. I use it. And again, my arrow was the only arrow that survived that whole test, that whole day, period. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Guys can use what they want. I wouldn't look too heavily into what, you know, insert you're using. Um, but I will, you know, like I said, if you are using a hidden insert, uh, be aware and take those proactive, you know, steps to, to toughen up your arrow. That's what I do. So you've been through, like, pretty much all of the, the gear and everything that you're going to be doing and shooting for this um, this challenge. Um, and that is kind of to bolster new hunter recruitment, new shooter recruitment. Um, that sort of is the, the crux of the whole thing. Now, what are you going to be doing with this bow? And I, you know, I joked around before the podcast and I said, you know, if you don't kill anything this year with that bow, is it the $500 bow's fault? Right. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you showcase this bow, um, throughout the, the year, this upcoming season? Um, straight up without sounding like a cocky or douche, I plan on out shooting guys with, uh, (laughs) you know, that's, that's, that's my goal. Um, I want to show people that I, you know, I'm going to be going to voodoo like I did last year. I'll have a booth there. I'll be recording episodes, but, um, I'll be shooting, you know, Bigfoot. Um, last year I was shooting Bigfoot for people. They, they had this big, big, Bigfoot thing. And I'm, and I'm saying this cause I'm halfway joking tongue in cheek, but, um, it really, it really was going on, but they have this like Bigfoot of like a hundred yards uphill, up a steep uphill, excuse me. And, uh, I was shooting my, my turbo at it and, and they had this like, high plate size bullseye where if you hit that bullseye you got your name entered in the giveaway or a ticket the ticket for the giveaway well guys were paying me to shoot for them <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know i was hitting it like two out of three times probably on average and and again i was shooting my uh turbo and i hadn't hardly shot at all i wasn't shooting at all. i should have hit that thing every time um but you know guys were having a tough time just hitting you know big foot above the belly button so um yeah, I, I plan on going and I plan on showing people, you know, that it's more about work ethic. It's more about how bad do you want it? How, you know, I know guys that go out and uh, one of the biggest killers I know was using like a Matthews LX or something like this old Matthews. And he's a killer. I mean, his, it, it was probably older than, the, than a Matthews LX. It sounded like a freaking 22 and it went off. I mean, it was loud. And, uh, he would kill more more shit than any any other guy that I know around here locally. I mean, he was a killer, and he was killing big stuff, elk, big bucks, big but big, you know, big bulls, um, you know. And like I said, his bow was freaking loud, and uh, he he didn't shoot, you know, a lot. He just would spend more time on the animal scouting, and and through that he would get more opportunities. Um, he, could, he was able to get closer and know where the animals were going to be. And that's how he was effective. It wasn't anything because of the bow. Um, so, you know, if I don't kill anything, uh, you can't blame it on the bow. Um, you know, it's not the bow's fault. It's not a, it's not a, it's an inanimate object. It has no intelligence. It doesn't make the decision where you think, whether you hold up and wait for the wind to change, you wait for the thermals. It has no bearing on, on 
you know, what decisions you should make unless it's adding effective yardage onto your stock. Um, you know, it really, it's going to, this bow is going to affect my, my effective yardage. I'm probably only going to shoot out 60 with this bow, um, maybe 70. Um, not that I shoot past 70 much anyways. I did this year, um, a little bit, but you know, it, it's straight up my fault if I don't feel a tag. I plan on having a great year with it and I don't, you know, again, try not to sound like a cocky douche. I don't typically eat tags unless it's an elf tag. <laughs> so, uh, I, I spent last eight years um, swinging out on elk, whether it was my own fault or, like, you know, equipment malfunctions, like a D-loop sliding down and not knowing how to fix it. Um, you know, that, those kind of things, you know, it's, it's, I take responsibility for that, and I plan on killing a bunch of stuff with this bow and filling my freezer with the stuff that I do get. I plan on killing a turkey. I'm not into turkey hunting at all, um, but I plan on taking opportunities to show people and I'll, I'll use the meat, you know, I'm not killing it just to kill it, but I am killing it to prove a point that, hey, I just killed this turkey for a thousand bucks cheaper than I did, you know, than I could have last year, you know, I mean, it's, uh, so that hopefully they answer the question. I, I plan on going to Texas and, you know, depending on how I do leading up to December with this boat, uh, I may use it in Texas because I get to shoot an um, unlimited amount of hogs and one, one white tail buck. So we'll see. We'll see. I plan, like I said, I plan on I plan on really shooting a lot more than I have been, and in getting my edge back, you know, getting getting that, you know, I'm gonna smack that bullseye sixty. You know, I plan on getting that back, like when I had my synergy, and I plan on doing it with with this bow. And so, while you're doing this, um, you know, how can people follow along and find you and and kind of, you know, go along with you on this on this journey? Yeah, so we're we'll we'll be doing updates on the podcast. It's on point podcast with Garrett Weaver, and uh, that's uh, I'm so creative. I had to put my own name in the title, so I sound like a narcissistic douche, you know, like that. But um, so that's the name of the podcast is on point with Garrett Weaver. They can follow me on there. The YouTube channel. I'm trying to incorporate it into the YouTube channel, but Instagram for guys that want to follow along the journey, or they have questions about maybe me trying this piece of gear versus that gear. I really take those those comments in consideration. Um, you guys make a lot of suggestions on the YouTube channel, but due to bow availabilities, I can't shoot the bows. I live in you know a town, twenty thousand people is, is our city, and we only have one tiny tiny bow shop here uh, in, in Roseburg. And so we don't, I don't get all the bows. I don't get the obsessions. I don't get the primes. I don't get the PSDs. I have to drive at least an hour to, to go get those for bow reviews. Um, but you know, Instagram is probably the best platform. Again, it's on point with Garrett Weaver on there as well. Um, and because I'm so creative, my YouTube channel is Garrett Weaver. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it sounds like I love my name. I really don't, <laughs> but that's how they can follow me on there. I try and upload once a week on YouTube, but you know, I'm not going to just upload to upload. So, um, you know, once a week's my goal, but very, very often it's maybe once every two weeks, but. That's, that's for the guys that love to learn visually. We're really diving in deep um, on the podcast. I think our broadhead episode or our error building episode was three hours long. And uh, I even go back and listen to that just to see, you know, what Chris was talking about in some of these areas or maybe where my mind was at at that time. You know, I, 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 get, I go back and I use my own material. I have even gone back and how fast was that bow shooting? I forget. I'll go back and watch my video to remind myself how fast that bow was shooting or if I liked it or not. So um, I use my own content and then I know 
based on suggestions, what I need to improve on and what people want to see. And, and I take it all to heart. I try my best for, especially for, for viewer requests. Um, you know, I've, I've had as little turnaround as a day, you know, Hey, can you come out with how to cite in your fast ID Excel? Yeah, I'll try and come out with that tomorrow. But, um, you know, that's, that's what, that's the best way guys can, can upload or uh, download my content or, or get my content. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty yeah. much kind of covered most of the stuff. We've kept you here for, for quite some time, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But I think we need to do this again because I could pick your brain all day long. and and uh, <laughs> Well, it you know, just... sounds, like, sounds like John's pretty knowledgeable, man. So, I mean, he's, he's probably a pretty good resource for you. But I, I'd be happy to come on again. Like I, like I said, I, I live, and, live and breathe this stuff, and, and I could talk it all day. You know, I have a podcast about it, so, uh, you know, that I'd be honored to come on, and I am extremely, um, you know, appreciative of you having me on here, you and John taking the time to even listen to me and ask good questions, and, and it's it's really, really cool, man. I really do appreciate you having me on your show. Well, yeah, we appreciate having you, and, you know, don't give too much to John, because I got to listen to him whether, <laughs> whether I like it or not, so... <laughs> <laughs> at least once a week anyway so but yeah, yeah i think that's well, always I, I look forward to yeah i look forward to seeing where you guys go with this thing and and um you know it's just nice to meet guys that are like-minded that just want to help people and and uh i hope your guys you guys blow up and and help as many people as you can that's the goal you know <laughs> but uh but yeah thanks man and uh i think that's pretty much all we got for today so you know for everybody out there listening be sure to follow along with uh with Garrett over there. And I mean, he's always doing cool stuff. He's, you know, if you follow along with the born and raised guys, he's, they're his uh, mentors out there. So they're always collaborating on things here and there. So. Yeah, I did. I did forget to mention one thing with this bow that is really important. I will be setting up this bow that I'm currently shooting with a mouth tab. um, And that's to show people with shoulder injuries that they can still hunt. So if you have a shoulder injury, make sure you follow along with this thing because the side bow I just got will be, I'll be shooting it with my face, so it'll be pretty cool. Sweet. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think yeah. that's all we got for today, and, you know, thanks, everybody, for tuning in.